You're listening to All The Best. I'm Maddie McQueen. At the start of the first lockdown last year, I decided to get myself out of the city. I moved into a caravan in my parents' backyard, which is basically in the middle of nowhere. It made recording this show kind of tricky, but we made it work. While I was living there, I had a daily ritual of walking around the nearby koala habitat. If you know anything about koalas, you'll be unsurprised to know that I never saw any. Those little guys are pretty good at hiding, and they're basically always sleeping at the top of a tree somewhere. Until one day, literally during the last week I was living there, it happened. I was walking past a eucalyptus tree, and there it was, crawling along the ground, looking for a new tree to eat and sleep in. I immediately got super emotional. It felt so special, like this little patch of trees that I'd walked through so many times in the past 10 months was saying a precious little goodbye. I was marking the end of this weird chapter in my life, standing two metres away from a koala, crying tears of awe and joy and sadness that I was leaving this place that I love so dearly. But the koala did not see it that way. He kept looking over at me with this look on his face, like, why are you staring at me? What the hell is your problem? I'm just trying to eat my dinner. In this week's episode, we have stories of people navigating a pandemic while finding meaning in their interactions with animals. The animals declined our request for comment. First up, Ivy finds some slimy friends right in her own backyard. It's nearly 11 at night right now, and I'm just lying in bed listening to what's happening outside my window. <laughs> For about four months now, as soon as the sun comes down, my whole neighbourhood absolutely erupts in frog cores. Let me open the window real quick. It's been really nice, actually, being serenaded by frogs. I wonder types of frogs they are though. Twenty twenty was the year that staying home became the norm. But even after the lockdown restrictions began to ease in Sydney, I found myself disinterested in anything beyond the front door. I felt sluggish and distant, and as the months passed by, I looked for ways to reverse these feelings, to get out of my house and back into the world. That was when I found this project that was so charming, it knocked me out of my haze. I decided I was going to leave the confines of my house to find and track snails. But why? Partly because I think they are so remarkable. They're, they're getting up to all sorts of really interesting things right under our noses. This is Tom Van Doren, an associate professor at the University of Sydney. He's a field philosopher, and the Snail Homing Project is his brainchild. They're 
they're tasting the air and the ground and they're picking up on these chemical cues and that's how they're orienting and navigating. And so that's obviously a big part of this snail project because we're asking people to move snails around and to see whether they come back. And, and so at the heart of that is, is this question of, well, how do snails do that? How do they navigate and orient themselves in the world? Tom told me that the introduction of tracking animals was a turning point in how we studied their behaviour. One of the really interesting things in the, in the history of the study of animal behaviour, which is something that really interests me in my work, is that there was a real, there's a real change when people started to band birds, for example, to put little um, metal bands on their legs and, and to mark animals in other ways, not non-invasive ways, hopefully, and, and to be able to identify them individually. Uh, and when you do that, which is what you'd be able to do with the snails, you begin to be able to to think about and understand their day-to-day lives. Is, it, is this the same snail that you're seeing each day in this spot? Where does it go to? Uh, if, if you move it, does it come back? So I have here a pamphlet from the Snail Homing Project with a list of instructions of what to do. Step one, locate some resting garden snails. It says that the best places to find them are dark, cool, damp places, such as under pots or um, among leaves and undergrowth. Step two, carefully mark the snail shells once you find them, the non-toxic marker so you can track them down later. And then step three, move the snail some distance away very carefully and then make a note of where you found them, how you marked them and where you moved it. And then in the next couple of days and weeks, keep checking back to see if the snails return to the same area and make a note of their movement and patterns. So fingers crossed, it all works out. It's about 6am. I'm never in my garden this early. Okay, this is day one of hunting for snails. I'm in the middle of my backyard right now and I'm just having a really close look. I've been walking around checking the pots near the fences and undergrowth. Nothing so far. Goal of Urban Naturalist is is, is really just to find a a way for people to take time to observe nature in their cities, record what's there and really find ways for people to connect with nature and most importantly, share their stories. That's Professor Dieter Hockulai from the School of Life and Environmental Sciences at the University of Sydney. He studies how nature responds living in cities. So basically slowing down, observing and and trying to understand not only who's living in our cities, but what they're doing is a really big goal for the the urban field naturalist. Professor Hockulai says everyone can be an urban field naturalist with these simple steps. Slow down, observe, record and collect and ask questions. And then you can share your encounters with nature on the website. And when the COVID pandemic arrived and lockdowns began, they realised the project might have a particular kind of resonance for people to find the ordinary in the extraordinary. And that is definitely happening. There's been a spike in interest. And on the website, people are writing about discovering patches of fungi in Canada and some birds nesting in laundry in India. When I started this project, I didn't want to name the snails Snail 1, Snail 2, Snail 3, and instead I wanted to try something different. 
One idea I had was to use the phonetic alphabet that pilots usually use. Alpha, Bravo, and then I realized, what if I named the snails after tropical cyclones? Because one, it's alphabetical, and number two, the list borrows human names. I also thought that naming snails after something so speedy would be pretty fun. Let's see, tropical cyclone names. Here we are. Let's see what they have. <laughs> so the first name on the list for Australian ranger names is Annika. And then we have Billy. I think this is going to be the list that I use. I think I'm pretty set. I've got my names. I've got my markers right here to use. And I've got the list of instructions. And now to find some snails. Snails have some pretty important ecological roles and it depends on the species. A lot of the ones that are more familiar to us are, are eating living vegetation and often in ways that annoy us, like our lettuces and our veggies. Here's Professor Tom Van Doren again. Perhaps one of the most important things snails do in the ecosystem is to actually be eaten, which is not a very glamorous ecological role, I suppose. They're an important source of food for all sorts of, of animals, especially birds. I also realised after talking with Professor Hoculi that I knew nothing about the variety of snails that exist across the country. Australia's got an enormous number of native snails as well, something like about two and a half thousand species of native land snail. And you know, these things, are they come from a really wide and diverse group of families. About a hundred of them are listed under our threatened species legislation. So there's a large chunk of them that have got the same protections as a, as a koala or a, um, a swift parrot or one of these sorts of animals that's more iconic. It's day 14 of looking for snails. I haven't had much luck, sadly. I've been in looking all the possible places every morning, but nothing. They're definitely around though. I'm looking at the pavement now and these little squiggly silvery trails. That means that they've been out and about. Maybe I'm not looking hard enough. Oh. I was starting to worry that I would never find one of these evasive creatures. It has been really dry and hot in Sydney lately. Maybe that's it? And then a breakthrough. See it. <laughs> I see it, I see it. Wait, wait, coming, coming. Today's a lucky day. The other voice is a family friend who was staying over at my place and who was also very, very amused. Oh, no way. Where are they? Let's see, let's have a look. There's one there. And there's one there. There it is. I carefully drew little bright spots on their shells and put them in a nice damp area and then recorded everything in a notebook. Hello, just be orange. <laughs> After two weeks.
And after two weeks of trying to find it, I haven't found any. And then suddenly there's two, four. After 17 days of no luck, I found four snails, Annika, Billy, Charlotte and Dominic. As I looked at the snails, questions started to fill my mind. Did the mucus slime trails they leave behind contain any information? Those markings on their shells, were they like fingerprints? And this is when I was reminded that this is how science begins. This feeling of curiosity and the endless need to find answers for yourself. As soon as you start learning more about a subject, quite often you grow, you go down that rabbit hole and you really start getting interested and excited about it. And that's what, something i found with just telling and seeing some of these stories. Professor Dieter Hockulai again. So at a personal level, yeah, I probably slowed down a little bit with respect to looking at what's around me and taking the time to, to, to really, I suppose, just watch what's happening. And it's, it's, it's quite therapeutic in some ways. And that's something that's come out of conversations with people about what they've been observing, simply that people are really noticing things that we think have probably already always been there, but have just always been not part of our day-to-day life because we've been in a rush to get from A to B and we haven't really just spent enough time kicking around A and, and looking and seeing what's there. I welcome 2021 at home with the sound of fireworks competing with frog calls echoing well into the new year. Even though the year had ended, it didn't mean the pandemic did. It still continues in Australia and marching on at a relentless pace overseas, leaving people at home with a lot of extra time on their hands. I never saw Annika, Billy, Charlotte or Dominic ever again. But in the end, I think I did achieve a little what I set out to do, interacting a bit more with the outside world and appreciating a bit more the smaller things in life. I still go outside to patrol the garden, hoping to see at the corner of my eye a shell with a bright pink spot. Also, I found out recently that the name of the frog in my neighbourhood are most likely parents' tree frogs, but they also have another name. The maniacal cackle frog. Isn't that the greatest thing that you've ever heard? That story was produced by Ivy Shee. Lee Robinson was the supervising producer. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Maddie McQueen. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. In our next story... Wing crosses paths with a black cat. The first time I saw Alexander, I knew I would fall for him. It was a photo of him sitting under the sun. His arms surrounded his chest, his eyes half closed. He's really handsome, said Heidi, the auntie who introduced him to me. 
Alexander came to my place in late October, when Melbourne was still in lockdowns. I met Heidi outside her car. She took out a carrier from the front passenger seat. I walked closer, and I saw a big black cat lying down on his belly. He looked at me with his big yellow eyes. And that's Alexander. He's four years old, and he's my first foster cat. Since the first lockdown started in March, I had been considering fostering cats. As an international student, I lived alone in a high-rise while my family was miles away. During this time, loneliness is my companion, and I wanted to find emotional support. Fostering happens when street animals come into care, as they can't be listed for adoption immediately. Some of them are already used to the wild life on the street. It takes time for them to get used to indoor living. Foster carers offer a temporary home for these cats before their adoption. Aristotle once said, "Humans are social animals. At a time like this, we certainly seek companions." Including from our furry friends. Two days after I submitted my application, the rescue group contacted me and told me about Alexander. Before that, I only saw him from the photo. He was first seen in a street in Bandura in April. Since then, he visited almost every household on the street for food. They believe it was time for him to relearn indoor living. And my apartment would be a good fit. I named him Alexander because I wanted him to be as brave as Alexander the Great. At first, Alexander hid under the sink in my bathroom. He was just dissexed and a bit unsure about the new home and me. Alexander, Alexander, Alex. Look at me, Alex. Look at me. But a day later, he started stretching the bathroom door, demanding to have a tour of my place. He walked cautiously, tail pointing down. And two hours later, after I returned home, I found him sitting on the couch, less stretching out. He heard the noise, turned his head to me, as if he was the king. Once he saw me. He climbed down from the couch, walked around me, and rubbed against my legs. He even licked my foot. It was a tremendous feeling. The moment when Alexander touched me, it was like something was connected. Since the second lockdown began, I had been feeling isolated from the world. I sometimes even felt I was living in a boundless dark room. I forgot the existence of time and space, and the fear that I would never be able to reach people hovered over me all the time. But the touching from Alexander was magical. I mean, his claws were so long that he almost hurt me. He kept scratching my couch too, and seemed determined to destroy it. Despite all this, Alexander's presence and his action were like a message. It meant I wouldn't be alone for the rest of the lockdown. 
and for him, my companionship could also be healing. Alexander was scared of being left at home. He followed me everywhere. When it came to my sleeping time, he would jump on the bed but rest on its edge, so that he could stay without disturbing me. It's still unclear why Alexander appeared in the street alone, but usually there could be two reasons. Some people might lose their cats when they move out, or they couldn't afford their pets, and rather than sending the cats to shelter, they just dumped them on streets. But whatever reason it was, he was abandoned, and he had a tough life. He loved food so much. And every time when he saw something that looked like food, he would chew it, and therefore I had to keep an eye on him. Why I found this funny, I couldn't help but wonder what he'd experienced that made him so desperate about food. His interest in food even extended to the delivery man. Every time when he heard the bell, he would come out and welcome the delivery people. Alexander also found out my daily routine. When it was my time to wake up, he would call me, jump on and off the bed until I was awake. What are you doing? Huh? What are you doing? Why? When I was working, he would quietly sit next to me, or sometimes sleep on my lap. When I was out for groceries, he would see me off at the door, and when I came back, even before I inserted the key. I could hear him mewing on the other side. Alexander and I didn't understand each other's languages, but it seemed there was a line that drew us together. In Chinese culture, we have a spiritual element called yuan. It's similar to the concept of fate in the West. However different and distant you are from each other, you will meet if you have the fate. If you don't have the fate. Whatever efforts you make are just a waste of time. So why did Alexander appear at this time, if he's my fate? Soon I had this answer. It was Saturday night. I remember, someone I saw as a friend for four years suddenly disconnected me from social media. I was later told that they felt annoyed to see my messages, even if the latest message I sent to them. Were just a check-in during the lockdown. I lied on the couch, reflected on the previous good time we had, and I cried and cried and cried. The lockdowns certainly had been a special examination for relationships, and sometimes the outcome could be heartbreaking. All of a sudden, I felt something jump on. It was Alexander. He climbed up. And then sat down closely next to my shoulder. He looked at me, moving even closer. I raised my hand, wanting to touch him, but he suddenly bit me. He immediately ran away to a further spot, but still stared at me. His sudden bite stopped me from crying, and as I gazed at him, I realized that was his message. Don't be sad. I'm here with you. 
That was the moment I knew I wanted to keep him with me. I gave Heidi from the rescue group a call, telling her that I wanted to keep Alexander. Then I lied on the floor, watched Alexander, and reflected on the magical bond we had. It was like the empty hole in my heart was filled. A feeling and belief that from now on, I am no longer lonely because of him. A few days later, I received a long rejection message from Heidi. She explained it took great effort for the group to rescue a cat. As a temporary resident, I would be likely to return home one day, and I worried about the long haul flight that Alexander might need to suffer. Even if it was a small possibility, they didn't want to lose him. Me either. When I received the message, Alexander was having a nap on the couch. If it was fate for me to meet him, then why did we need to say farewell? While all these emotions flooded towards me, Alexander was still asleep. He was like an angel when he fell asleep. You could even see his little tongue. Before he moved in, Heidi told me that Alexander often had his dinner with a lady on his street. One week before he moved in, he was found sleeping on the lady's couch. He must have missed living indoors. Maybe that's why we met. At the time when I suffered from loneliness, I had Alexander's companionship. On his way to his forever home. He was able to stay with me and have regular meals and a safe, warm place to sleep. It had been a special time for us, and I knew this from our farewell. Two weeks later, Alexander was adopted. While waiting for his new human to pick him up, I talked to him. This is our last time seeing each other. I won't forget you, and please don't forget me. Alexander rubbed my leg and licked me, as if he understood. As I said bye to Alexander, it was the end of a relationship, but it's also the beginning of many new relationships. I chatted regularly with Alexander's new owner, who also happened to be Chinese. She would send me updates of Alexander. And we decided to catch up in the coming weeks. I also started fostering new cats. What are you doing? Hmm? <laughs> Did you just purr? Sometimes I still miss Alexander. I once Google about cats' memory. And it seems they do remember who has fed them. I hope Alexander would remember me. And that's how our yuan continues, packed away in the treasure boxes of our memories. That story was produced by Wing Kuang. Mel Chun was the supervising producer. 
All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay and Angela Moran are our social media producers. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Maddie McQueen. Thanks for listening.